1: Thanks for joining us on Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. We are coming to you live from the Sugar House in Detroit, Michigan. Is this real? (laughs) Where we're celebrating our official launch with plenty of technical difficulties. We apologize
0: for that.
2: Wait a second. You're reading a script. Did it say technical difficulties? It said technical difficulties
0: in the script. Thanks,
2: (laughs) Thanks to our friends, family, and colleagues for
1: coming out tonight to celebrate with us. Let us know you're out there. Yeah.
3: Woo! Yeah.
1: We hope you enjoyed our special punches. We had a rum punch. We had a part and parcel that were pretty fantastic.
4: That zombie was crack. Not crack fries, but crack. What's a zombie? Crack drinks.
1: Tell me what a zombie is.
4: Rum, rum, ginger, grenadine, lime, cinnamon, some other shit. It's good.
1: I'm back to drinking the Dr. Bird Jamaica Dr. rum Bird. from uh, two, James two James. It's pretty right fantastic.
4: Here.
2: See, and all you guys are heathens. I'm drinking a martini because it's freaking National, it National Martini Day.
0: It's a National Martini Day? Yeah,
2: it's totally National Martini
0: who, Day. Who decided what's National Martini Day? The
2: Martini Association of America.
0: Is that a thing? No.
2: What? No, you it's made that a, shit no, up. It, I totally made it up.
0: So britsky.
1: So we, we, have, we, we were supposed to start an hour ago. We didn't. Um, <laughs> so, we have a, a really tight Obviously. schedule. It's we pro- have, we been have drinking some really great hour, guests tonight. been drinking for an hour without going on. It happens. And there's a, there's, a, there's a good crowd of people out there enjoying
2: themselves. Fully, fully all lubed up.
1: Yeah, lubed up. With, with so alcohol. Did you That's say about, lubed up? <laughs> what, who, what? Okay, guys, guys. So, so we're, right. we're, we're 19 episodes in. This is our 19th episode that we're recording. And um, we're officially launching 19 episodes in. That's great. W- was um, we weren't not ready to make a commitment? Is that the thing? This
2: is my favorite episode by far. So <coughs>
0: how many, how so many live? How many live <laughs> episodes do we have? Three. This is our third, right?
4: Based on Nick's uh, forehead, we've built some sweat equity into this <laughs> uh, episode. So I'm feeling like this is a this is a winner already in my book.
1: Yeah, Nick's, Nick's has been. Uh, uh, Busting his ass tonight Trying to get this He's uh, very sweaty Schedule. He's very sweaty Scheduled, He's this, very sweaty. Uh, scheduled uh, podcast going And we, we uh, We're there We're recording Things are okay We're live, right? Yeah, we're live People On, uh, out there podcastdetroit.com yeah. Hey mom You can listen to us You can't hear us if you're not listening So I don't know why I even said that Well, you can listen um, later Right but you they can. want to be lit. But you gotta download it. Yeah, download the podcast, heard podcast. Apple
0: Podcast app, iTunes, Google Play, iTunes. iTunes. Wherever do you iTunes. get your it. What is this Apple Podcast? I don't need, I don't do that. I do iTunes. It's the podcast app on your iPhone, man. I I do iTunes all day. No, that's not that's not right. Some, some but, people
2: text as opposed to call things too. Text.
1: So over the last eighteen episodes, we've had some pretty great guests, right? So awesome a couple guests. of them are here in attendance, so we have Jake and Dorothy.
0: Oh. from
1: Cat <laughs> Hawkins is here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sarah Welch, also another guest. Am <laughs> I missing anybody? No, no. But we have some awesome, some awesome folks in the the crowd tonight. Um, we're going to talk to a couple of them in a minute,
2: but... Uh, we offered first-class plane tickets for anyone who wanted to fly in, but...
0: We no did. One, no one offered. No one took it. Glenn Fittich, Dave, tried to fly in, but he got sidetracked to Nova Scotia, Something I think. Something better.
1: I mean, we, yeah, you know. Well, that was did, another Dave, Dave, one of our live podcasts was here mm-hmm. with Glenn Fittich, Dave. Yeah. We've done two here. We did one with the Violet Hour as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And, oh, so we had four because we had uh, live at the wine... Yeah, the wine event. Yeah, too. Yeah. Michigan
1: Wine Showcase. talk to winemakers and Claudius Tiagi,
0: who's a master sommelier. You guys have all been proud of me. I was so rosé last night in Ann Arbor at the uh, Top of the Park Ann Arbor Film Festival, watching Willy Wonka, drinking all-day rosé. That's fantastic. Just because of our episode. If no other reason. drink. Rose. There's, there's no, no reason not to drink more
1: rosé. That's what I'm uh, saying. All right, so... Uh, we have a couple guests tonight um, Actually three So let's start with the first guest
0: um, ML, are you out there? ML ML They see ML anywhere
2: Well just let's, let's do a little intro While we, uh, so, we find it yeah.
1: ML Ulrich is a Pulitzer Prize and Emmy Award winning Investigative reporter uh, and she, he also is a former Detroit Tigers beer guy, so he was literally the guy in the in Comerica Park saying, "Get your beer, get your beer here." So, what, what did he win a Pulitzer Prize for? Um, I
0: I don't know. Actually, I, I think he's he on was, his way here. I think he won it for the Kwame Kilpatrick. Yeah, he's on was Kwame it the Patrick. Kwame
1: Kilpatrick uh, investigator? No, no, Why did
0: you win the Pulitzer? For? We'll was talk about that when he thing? gets up
1: to the seat. Um, he's done some really incredible investigative reporting, notably in regard to uncovering some of the corruption present in the Kilpatrick administration, and he's also a whiskey aficionado. So you're going to want to turn, turn the mic, yeah. All
3: right, as a, as a veteran TV guy. There we go. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> M.L. Elrich.
4: <laughs> I think it's still not on.
3: Wow, what, what an inauspicious beginning there.
4: I'm,
3: uh, I'm the TV guy, and I can't get the, the mic on. It's not going. on.
0: I don't think
4: it's on. It's on. I, must,
3: can, I can hear him. the whiskey.
0: Yeah, I can hear him. All right. So, uh, M.L., uh, uh, I, I heard that uh, you slang beer at Comerica Park.
3: That's right. I, uh, I was a hot dog guy in the last season at uh, Tiger Stadium and then was a beer man at Comerica Park. Best job I ever had. It's yeah, not It's good. It's good. Well, oh, you know, something's standing on it. Maybe,
0: maybe he wants to have it the other way.
3: A, the cord looks it's like it's, it's something's on I don't know if that affects it or not. No, yeah, you're fine. Okay, so. There you go. If you can hear the sound of my voice, boom! Oh, raise your we glass. We got you.
1: We got you.
0: Somebody get.
3: Cheers, if you can, out can the the door. if you can hear the sound of my voice, I apologize for the sound oh, of my voice. Good for uh, you know you're on TV,
0: but I heard you, you have a face for radio, but uh,
3: it's not even for radio; it's for podcasts. It's uh,
0: so uh, um, you slang beer at Comerica. Was that uh, a uh, you weren't the guy who sang at the at the thing, right?
3: No, that's that's Charlie. Although we uh, we started at Tiger Stadium at the same time, he stuck with hot dogs because he has an affinity for tube steak in terms of selling it. <laughs> so how... He's also... I don't know if anybody's ever seen Charlie Marcuse outside the ballpark. He is one of the best-dressed men in Detroit. He is, a, uh, he is known for his, uh, his fine fashion sense. And he, he also uh, launched a mustard, right? Charlie's Mustard, yeah. And, and at some point, he's talking about doing a clothing store downtown. He used to work at the uh, Claymore Shop in Birmingham. But um, but yeah, he's he's an entrepreneur, so hopefully that works out well for him. He's, his sartorial splendor is well known. So okay. ML, so I want to talk about the
1: investigative reporting thing. So you, you how do, how does one become an investigative reporter? How do you decide to go down the path of like exposing corruption?
3: It helps if you were an unpopular dick in high school. <laughs> So you kind of get used to not being liked and being the turd in every punch bowl you've ever dropped into. So I just kind of naturally came to it.
4: Not these punch bowls.
3: Yeah. Well, these are these are much finer punch bowls. <laughs> I mean, is no peanuts in this turd. But I uh, I thought I saw some corn. But anyways, I digress. Um, no, you know what? I, to me, I just uh, I just I just grew up in a very privileged community, and we didn't have very much. And so when I see people who have. A lot or who have an obligation to the rest of us not living up to us li- li- not living up to what they're obligated to do for us it's um it's really frustrating and fortunately because of journalism uh we have an opportunity to demand the rights that were guaranteed and that people who make promises to us keep those promises and uh, they don't like it and we do so it's pretty cool
1: and so how do you figure out what where the, where the meat is? So do you investigate something and, and find that there's nothing there? And then on other stories, you're like, oh, there's a lot here. Let's go deeper on that.
3: Yeah. It, the thing is, it, it, in some ways, it's not really complicated. Like uh, I was uh, a big supporter of Kwame Kilpatrick's very quietly because as a reporter, you don't have an opinion. I voted for him. I almost took a job with the administration when it started. And then early on, he said he was going to knock down more houses than any Detroit mayor had ever knocked down, and he said he would do it by September. So I just marked my calendar, and in September, I said, how many houses did you knock down? Well, it turns out, not only had he not knocked down more than any other mayor, he'd knocked down fewer than any other mayor. And some of the houses he knocked down hadn't been cleaned up. And so we started taking a harder look at what he did, and, and really, in a, in, a, in a way, when you're a watchdog reporter, uh, you hold government accountable. It's kind of simple. Government says it's going to do something. You take a look. Did they do it? No. You report it. If they did it, you report that too. If they have a reasonable explanation, like we had $50 million to knock down houses, but then we had to spend $40 million uh, fixing a school that blew up, well, that's reasonable. If they say, well, we had $50 million to knock down houses, and it's none of your business what we did with it, that's not reasonable, that's a great story, and so you do that.
0: So when you're looking at stuff, when you're looking at stuff, how do you balance like things like uh, the governmental issues versus the... Um, you know, there was a report I saw today um, on, you know, Facebook, which means it was real, of course, because I saw it on Facebook. It said that uh, Detroit... Uh, it said something really negative about Detroit, you know. But when, you, when you're living here you're like, oh, well, there's growth in hospitality. There's growth in uh, the beverage industry, there's growth in the hospitality food industry. I mean, all that, yeah, hotels, this and that. From your standpoint, what do you think? Uh, How do I, you balance that against anything else that's like being put out by other media outlets?
3: Yeah, well, I, I don't balance it against any other media outlet. I mean, okay. my goal is to beat every other media outlet, but to me, I just do the stories that I do. I mean, there are a lot of stories that would never get told if we didn't look into them. If we were trying to, you know, I, I play on a, a, a men's hockey team, and we tend to lose a lot of games because we play down to the competition's level. I don't want to do See, that. It's also,
0: it's also you're not that good, right? Yeah. Well, there's that, sub- that as well. That. I mean,
3: but we lose to worse teams. I don't understand that. So, so I, I think we want to try and set the agenda. We want to try and set the pace, but. But, you know, I, I live in Detroit. I grew up around here. I've lived in the city for 18 years. Eastsider. East East Eastside. And I yeah. just want to say that there is a lot of negative things about the city. I mean, we still don't have enough police. We still don't have enough firefighters. Our schools are atrocious. Our insurance rates are exorbitant. Uh, we have public officials who still serve themselves before they serve us. There are a lot of things in this city that need to be fixed. Now, there's a good place to get a drink. There's a good place to get something to eat. There's a good place to hang out. It's getting cleaned up. It looks better. Things are getting better, but one of the things I don't ever want to do is work for TASS, the Soviet news agency. I don't want to report on this, Potemkin Village, Detroit. One of the things that makes Detroit such a great place is, even though it has these challenges, people stay, and they dig their heels and they say, we are going to fix this. I mean, I don't think Detroit will be saved from downtown. I think it will be saved by people in the neighborhoods. And that's what our hope is. And until we get those schools fixed... We'll have fewer and fewer people in the neighborhoods. So, I, I mean, I, I, I like a lot of what I see going on in Detroit, but, um, so So let's, you know, let's
0: be honest. You're one of the that's, people that stay. That's why they
3: made whiskey, okay? So you can live here <laughs> yeah. and not be bummed out all the time. So
0: you're one of the people that stay. So you're in the neighborhood. You're on the east side. Um, a lot of people focus on the uh, downtown areas in terms of restaurants and bars and whatnot. Um, what do you look for? And I'm not giving you a region. What do you look for in a bar or restaurant that you're that you're going out to, whether it's with your family or your friends? What are some of the top things you're looking for in hospitality?
3: Some place that has a good variety, some place that's distinctive. You know, I I I went to MSU and I used to love going down Grand River Avenue because there are so many cool little shops. While they're doing their homework. Right here. Oh. <laughs> Actually, I think all of our Michigan people are furiously masturbating with this podcast right now. <laughs> and the Spartans are out with their women. So, sorry, fellas. Oh, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> Just like ouch. LL Cool J, I'm the one who put my drawers ouch. in your hamper. You got that, John oh, Harbaugh? Oh, no, is man. it Jim Harbaugh? What else? Man,
0: you're killing me, Smalls.
3: That's what happens when you go to Italy. Kill Spartans me, move in on your ladies. But, you uh, know, I want a place that's distinctive. And what I notice with East Lansing, it's becoming more chain-oriented. And that's why I love places like Corktown. That's why I love places like on the east side, some of the places that are coming up in the West Village and in Eastern Market. These are distinctive places. And even some of the things happening on Livernois, you are not going to find these places anywhere else in the world. The Cliff Bells, Great Spot, Traffic Jam, they were here before anybody else. They stuck it out. They're doing well. Those are the things I want to do. I want to go to places where if somebody comes to Detroit and they say, can we go to the Cheesecake Factory? I say, fuck no, we can't go to the Cheesecake Factory. We're going to go someplace... That you're going to go back and tell people, man, I wish we had one of these back home, not, oh, I went to Detroit and they had one of our things. I, I don't want that. My favorite bar in Chicago was a place called Lemmings where you could bring your dog and you could drink a, you know, a buck 50 uh, uh, old style, you know, and shoot some pool, play do some you, pinball.
0: Do you? All right. So aside from the Coney, because I'm not going to get into the Coney debate. But do you think that there's a quintessential like Detroit? Like, well, style all cuis are food? different.
3: At some you get shot at, some you get stabbed, <laughs> so they're yeah. different.
0: Do you think there's a quintessential Detroit food in your experience? Like the things you've gone around. Like you got things like uh, you know you go to uh, uh, Livernois. You got kuzos over there. You go on the west side. You got different stuff in downtown. Uh, downtown, you just got immense amount of stuff Midtown Corktown right. this and that what do, you, what do you think like the things you've been around what are some of the quintessential Detroit foods or Detroit beverage spots that you really yeah, enjoy yeah, I, I, Like or not, things not, you don't have to name places but things right. like uh, types of food or types of drinks or something like that
3: I would name places but by my contract I can't take stuff for free so that's out um, You know, I'm not an adventurous eater You know, I'm, I'm great with a burger and a beer you give me a cold Stroh's and a burger from Nemo's I'm happy you know, I, I thought I think we're known for the Conies. Now we seem to be known for shawarmas, right? I mean yeah. and and I like good pizza, but you know, I don't mind getting a Mr. I Pie for five bucks on a Saturday night. There's nothing better to do. So
0: uh, Buddies on Conan, though, right? Yeah, you can't beat buddies. I mean I think the buddies on Conan's better than any of the other buddies. That's, yeah. That's I don't true. know why. Yep. but Buddies and Dearborn versus Buddy and Conan, yeah. It's like, oh,
3: there's a buddy at 7 in Mac that's not bad, but that's just fly in, fly out, you know. They're, they're, uh, they're just a little shop, but they, they treat people right.
4: I want to know a little bit more about investigative reporting. Do you think that Mayor Duggan is under less scrutiny than Kwame Kilpatrick was, or how do you kind of view the difference in that, sure. uh, that, that awareness, that attention, that day in, day out?
3: I think it's hard to compare what happened in the uh, 2000s with what's happening now, mainly because there are so many fewer reporters. When Coleman Young was the mayor of Detroit in the 70s and the 80s, there were five or six people working out of the Detroit Free Press office and out of the Detroit News office. When I was working out of the Free Press office in City Hall, there were two of us. Uh, The Detroit News had three people. Now they have one person covering city council and the mayor. Detroit News has one person covering city council and the mayor. It's really hard to step back and dig into things when there's so much to cover. Good news as well as bad news, and there's only one person there. One of the things that I was always grateful with Kwame Kilpatrick was when he had good news, he would feed it to this little lapdog guy at the free press, and he'd report, like, oh, this is so wonderful. Normally, you would tell that to the reporter who's up your ass because you want to keep him busy, right? Well, he would just feed this you know, popcorn to this dude, and I'd have more time to look into stuff. And I would tell him, I'd say, you know, Mr. Mayor, you know, if you have some good news, give them to me because I'll write those stories. Otherwise, I'll just do the other stories. And I know you don't like those. With Mayor Duggan, I think it's, it's really difficult to compare partly because of the, the number of reporters that are around and also because of, uh, you know, reporting is a very personal thing. And when I covered Mayor Kilpatrick, they got mad about stuff. They said, well, nobody cared about this before. When I covered Bob Ficano, we exposed a lot of wrongdoing by Bob Ficano's administration in Wayne County. And the complaint we always heard back from Ficano people is people have been doing this forever. Why didn't anybody write about it then? I said, well, I wasn't here then. You know, I mean, to me, there are people who see dog shit on the sidewalk yeah. and they step over it. There are some my- people who step in it and there's some people who pick it up well, I'm going to try and pick it up, and I'm going to try and throw it out. But there are other people who just go like, well, I guess that's somebody else's problem. Well, no, no, it's our problem. Yeah. And I think there's a mindset that's missing at both of the newspapers and at mindset two of the other TV stations.
4: Mindset or resources that are missing?
3: Well, if you take resources out of the equation, um, one of the I think one of the big differences is, Because
4: there's a a big difference in resources between six people and one person.
3: Yeah. Right? But at the same time, there are only two people who put Kwame Kilpatrick in prison, and there were six people or maybe 12 people, and none of them put Coleman Young in prison. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a numbers game. A lot of it is its approach. It's what you're willing to do. I mean, every time I do a story, I get attacked by people saying, "Oh, you're only doing this story because you look like this." And I'm like, Are "You saying I'm a white guy?" Because just full disclosure, I'm, I'm a white guy. I'm like, I'm like so white. White guys come up to me and say, "What's up, white guy?"
0: Tsuzaki thing again? No,
3: it's because I didn't start playing until I was mostly pink. But but people want to avoid controversy. I just don't understand that. To me, if you're a reporter, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to fight for things. You're supposed to go to the heart of the matter, and if people get in your way, you're supposed to go through them. That might be a hockey thing. But, uh, but you, you really have got to be driven by this passion to find out what's going on and when something isn't going on properly to tell everybody. Hmm. And I think that doesn't come from being mean-spirited. I think it comes from caring because when somebody cheats Detroiters – they cheat my neighbors, they cheat my friends, they cheat my family. Now, if you live in Farmington and you're a reporter down here and somebody cheats the choice, like, sorry, chumps, I'm going back home to where the streets are paved, the cops come when we call them, the grocery stores are open 24 hours a day, and we got a bunch of schnauzers, you know. Shout out to Myers-Aid and right. Woodward,
0: man. So, so being an investigative reporter takes you all around, and it seems like uh, uh, you got a lot of experience a lot of different things. How, what what about that experience brought you to the whiskey society?
3: Well, uh, a uh, a great reporter that I know introduced me to uh, Eric Olson over at McGee's, and we just kind of hit it off. And uh, he's a fan of the North. I'm a fan of the Republic, but we both like whiskey. So you know, every once in a while, I have some Bushmills with him, and I see he's got. Some powers and some patty behind the bar, so that's okay and you know, that's kind of daytime. Celebration. Yeah, you know what? That's where that's where the cultures all meet, over the yeah. peat. I hear you.
0: That's a good one. I got I got one more question here. One more question. Where do you consider our background, where do you see us going next couple of years? And it's in terms of like our food and beverage. We got a lot of stuff growing here. I mean you've been around. What's the next what's the next evolution for us?
3: Well, I think the next evolution is for us not to be a, uh, a tourist destination. It's for us to yeah, be a livable yeah. city. And what, what I mean by that is before I moved home, I lived in Chicago for two and a half years. And it was great. I had a cool place. I went to bars and restaurants. I had lots of friends who were my age. And it was, it was great. I mean, I think I was over 200 pounds because all I did was go to restaurants and eat and drink. And drink an
0: old style, yeah, apparently. It was fantastic.
3: But, uh, but I would never have lived in Chicago. And when it was time for me to start a family, I moved back to Detroit. We are now a place where young people can go and live and have fun, where people from the suburbs can go and see something different and enjoy themselves. So but I don't think we're, we're a city yet where families can move in and say, this is my spot. Uh, we have some neighborhood bars, but they're not the kind of neighborhood bars where, where some old guy's going to die off and I'm going to take his spot in that bar stool because I live in that neighborhood. I mean, I do, but... But I think our next evolution is that we can become a city for families, not just a place for people to come. Because people have been coming here for years. They come see the Red Wings games and they piss on a wall somewhere and they go back to Sterling Heights. Well, now they're coming here and they might not be pissing on the walls or those walls may have an occupied business behind them. But until we can become a place where I'm walking to the bar I'm going to instead of driving and worrying about a $45 ticket, then we got a problem. Until we're a city where my kid goes to school here and can walk to a job here and then walk home to my house in the neighborhood, we have a long way to go. And uh, I think there's only so much that the mayor or the city council can do about that until we get the schools together. It's not going to happen. And that means that when a principal admits that he stole from poor children, the parents don't come and have a rally to support that person. That's when we say you're not gonna do this shit to my kids, you're not gonna do this shit to my neighborhood, you're not gonna do this shit to my schools. You do that, there will be consequences. When we demand what we're entitled to, then we're gonna be okay. We're getting there, but we still have a ways to go. Uh, ML, thanks for being
1: with us tonight. Uh we Truly will be a pleasure,
3: thank you. That's that's why you can't give people free drinks before they do this in vino veritas. Shortly we'll have Janae
1: Ayers uh councilwoman from the city of Detroit on.
4: But well, you'll come back and we'll do a whole we'll do a whole thing and really dive into some of these issues. I'm
3: yeah, glad I, to have you back. I think uh, a sign of Detroit's progress is that I'm not welcoming any of the establishments. But until we get there I'll come when invited hey, so remember you know, uh,
0: is uh not club I want to be in, right? Exactly. Solancia
3: <laughs> Thanks man. Appreciate Thanks, I appreciate that. it. <laughs>
1: I mean. I, I mean. We're, we're, we're doing a live broadcast, okay, yeah, so done, we can... So now we're live. Yeah, are we good? Yep. All right. Give the intro. All right. <laughs> Councilwoman Janae Ayers' career has been built on serving the city of Detroit with an emphasis on working class families and underprivileged Detroit youth. This is all from the city of Detroit website. Um, Ayers was born, on, born and raised in Detroit and lives, on, lives in North Rosedale Park. Is that right? Um, she began working for the City of Detroit '99 in the Par- Department of Recreation through years of devoted service to the city and becoming the vice president of the Detroit Metro AFL-CIO in 2013 and then winning a seat on the city council. Ayers focused on making Detroit a better place for everyone. Councilwoman Ayers, thanks for joining us tonight.
5: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Is that yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, close?
5: Oh, Okay. Am I in there? You got me. Yeah. All right,
1: Janae. I want to. I want to start with. I, I think a really great program that, that you're working on, um, the Returning Citizens Task Force. Yeah. Um. So the Returning Citizens Task Force is um built to reintegrate uh, formerly incarcerated Detroiters and help reduce recidivism rates within th- that population. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. So. Interestingly, I just got back from the welcome conference in New York, mm-hmm. uh, a, a conference put on by Will Goodera, um from uh, Love in Madison Park, who's a hospitality, uh, I don't know, pro, whatever you want to call it. And um, there was a speaker that was uh, doing a similar program out of Rikers Island, okay. and, and Rikers Island seems like this really intense kind mm-hmm. of place, and um, prison in general is an intense place. And, and she, she made. Um, the point that most of these people are forgotten about. Right, They're they're in prison and at that point they they are sent out. And a lot of us watch Orange is the New Black and we watch these shows and it's like someone leaves prison and immediately they're back in. Recidivism is 50-60%, is that about right? That's that's exactly right. Um, So, uh, tell us about this Returning Citizens Task Force and how how it's working with the city to, to kind of help
5: yeah, so um, Returning Citizens Task Force is, that's my baby. Um, so I, I always start, when I talk about it, to tell people my story because, you know, I don't, I'm not ashamed of it. i um, very blessed to have my mom, who's a teacher. but My dad's a multi-felon, so I spent my weekends going to prison. I know what it was like to come back home, and I went to uh, Lutheran school from first to eighth grade, and, you know, on the playground, you're not supposed to really be talking about going to prison, but that was my weekend, so I'm like, yeah, you got to take shoes off, and you got to get this, and do that, and um, so when I got to council, I'm like, yo, we've got so many things that are not being addressed, one of which is returning citizens. Every month, it's almost 200 people that come back to the city from, that were incarcerated, And so we're not talking about that, and everybody's like, okay, you know, that's that one cousin. You just don't talk about him. He stays in the basement. But, no, we have to talk about it because people are coming back to our communities, and if we don't give people their next best chance, then we are only hindering ourselves in the long run. And so the task force, um, it's a lot of people that are interested in, in prison reform now, but the thing about it is it's like the new pair of Jordans. Like, everybody's doing it, and then it'll get old. For me, because it's so personal, this is something that I, I made sure to start the task force with a very small group, and it happened to be uh, three returning citizens, my staff and myself, because we were like, okay, these group of men, they know what they want to see. They know what could have helped them, and uh, from there, it just grew, and so we're, we're at a point now where um, we haven't lost the vision, and the vision is to come at it from a holistic perspective. Because I can give you a suit and I can give you a job, but if I don't change your mindset, then I haven't done anything. And so that's what the task force aims to do. We do, you know, financial literacy, GD, personal planning, just how to be a better parent. All of those. Can I ask you a quick question.
4: Sure. I, I apologize for missing the early. Out of the people you said, 200 people that come back, um, do you have an idea of like the breakdown of like non or drug crimes or like what what type of uh, of the, pe- the criminal justice and like what are, what are these people facing
5: yeah most of them are people that are that got caught on some small drug stuff really dumb shit and that turns into you know longer sentencing and then when they get in there you know you might have just been somebody that was hustling so you had a few whatever's on you and yeah you should serve your yeah. time but you really weren't a hardened criminal so then you go in and now you're fighting and whatever else and now you get more time added to you, so now it changes the whole psyche of who it was when they first went in. Yeah,
4: I believe that. I I had the opportunity, um, my grandmother for many years worked at the St. Vincent Sarah Fisher Center on the Mm -hmm. west side, and I volunteered there for at least three or four years, until the last couple of years I've been working. She had been working there for many, many, many years. They actually adopted before, when it was actually, I don't want to say orphanage, I don't know Mm -hmm. a better word, but... But now they do, like, um, education. The G D I I tutor in the GD program, St. Vincent Sarah Fisher, but my family, my grandparents actually adopted one of the girls at the when they were still, like, state-run uh, state care. So I really believe in what you're talking about, and um, uh, I'm super into that. I'd really love to know more. Um,
0: so that's my question to the group here. Do you think that, like, the uh, service industry is, like, the place to go? Like, we have a, such a shortage and like food and beverage, like mm-hmm. every every restaurant I ever go to, there's a sign out front saying, looking for, like, help, right? It's interesting, but, like, the thing is, well, one thing I wonder
4: is, like, it comes down to, I think, education as part of it. I mean, I, I was tutoring the GD program, and it was interesting to me, the range was, like, anywhere from 18 to, like, 45, 50 mm-hmm. years old. They were coming back, and some of the reasons that I heard was, for example, maybe it was the education system itself. There would be a, I remember a, uh, a young lady would tell me, like, you know, I, I didn't necessarily understand this stuff, but my teachers kept pushing me through the system and I a big And sometimes it was like, you know, maybe they were in trouble and they, yeah,
5: so, they not really couldn't ask for help. They didn't know how to ask for help. Or, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's, it's several things that play into it, so um, ironically, I have a background in both parts that we're talking about here one um when you talk about hospitality so the one thing that was not said in the bio is before i became a council member i come from representing hospitality workers so all the unionized hospitality places in the city of detroit those are my members and Weren't so you a
0: bartender
5: i have been a bartender were you a
0: bartender
5: <laughs> oh i don't want to talk about that no let's talk
0: about that you were a bartender
5: yeah no i did i i Learned how to bartend early on when Uh I was going to school at Bowling Green. And then I put a few of my skills to work every now and then at Starters and then a few other places.
0: Starters in Detroit?
5: Yeah, you know.
0: Plymouth or uh, down?
5: I learned. I did my internship at uh, Starters on Plymouth.
0: So for those listening, just to say, uh, the Plymouth Rock one is Mm -hmm. my... Precinct. Everyone that knows, I'm a command officer over there. Yep. That's uh, the Sods over there, Mike Sod. Yeah.
5: Mike oh, Bob. Oh my and gosh. Ali. Yeah, those are my guys. Those are my guys. Uh, so you know, I know a little bit about hospitality, and and I really give a good shout out to a lot of places here in the city that are unionized and they hire returning citizens. Um, so hmm. you know, that is quite the industry. And then a plug to MDOC. I was just at the um, graduation for the hospitality service program that they are running at the Ryan um, reentry facility. So we've got a lot of folks that are coming out. And I go and I speak to their graduating classes. And I'm like, don't think this is just something you learned in here that you can't apply because food, everybody wants to eat. I'm like, look at me. I'm not skinny because I like food. So <laughs> there will always be a market for what you have to offer. But to your point, as far as just education and how people may steer away from it, I come from family teachers. I taught high school. I taught at an alternative school. So it's not that people aren't smart or that they're incapable, but it's everybody learns differently. So for me, I'll be totally honest. In college, I didn't do a lot of studying because I'm a person that I could hear it. If I write it, I know it. That's just how I roll. And I think that oftentimes in education we try to box people in, and this is the way you should do it, and this is how you should learn. But that's not true. And so there aren't options for creative styles of learning. So people get frustrated, and you're right, and they quit. And they're like, I'm straight. I don't need it.
4: Yeah. yeah. So that's I guess that's what I was trying to get at. I, was like, I saw in the GED tutoring that and one of the rewards for me was to, tr- to be able to reach people and say, you know, we can approach this in a different way that maybe is not the way that was presented to you in first. And I mean, totally aside from that, for me professionally, it taught me something because it's like well, I can talk to somebody and have the patience to understand, like, you know, I know you can do this. It's just a matter of like breaking through and understanding, like, how can I get you to think about this in right. the terms of like what you understand? And um, I, I, I'm a huge for I mean, I think the St. Vincent Sarah Fisher Center is amazing. Um,
5: well, I think you hit on another point, though. People don't hear you can do it. Yeah. I believe you can. Your way's not wrong. It's, it's a just tyranny
4: different. of soft expectations, I believe. Absolutely. Like, you know, and that's one of the other things I realized when I was at the thing. It's like, you know, we take for granted that somebody at the GD program that may be an adult but had grown up with, like, whether they're a single parent or they, they never got the support or even the idea of, like, a smile. That was something my grandma, you know, uh, communicated to me, right? Like, I mean, she, you know, they, uh, we adopted my aunt Kim, an adoptee, but, like, at the time, very troubled. Uh, like, do you know that they would take the kids from the St. Vincent's Air Fishering Center 20 miles away and to them, it was like a different world. Oh, like, for sure. That, for sure. That was crazy to me. So. For sure.
5: When I was teaching, I took my kids. Now, mind you, this is when the education system was like breaking down. So my school was where the new mire is over, mm-hmm. an, uh, you know, six-mile yeah. Grand River. Yeah. So anyway. Actually
4: now close by where the... Bird and Grand River now is where right they're Right next to the new 8th precinct, precinct, which will be true. True.
5: Yes, uh, coming out next week. I know. I, I used to work for a nonprofit that ran out of the 8th Precinct many years ago.
0: Oh, I can't wait for them to leave. I'm <laughs> in the 6th Precinct, and I want them to get out of my house because, like, I need the space.
5: Well, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, so my group of kids, like I said, they were deemed alternative and what have you. But I hustled my little money together, and I took them to Chicago. Now, that was nothing for me. But for them, they had not been off the block. Yeah. And so, you know, one kid in particular who he latched on to me, nice kid, but he was supposed to be the most dangerous. So he's sitting next to me. We're on the train. And I feel somebody holding my hand. I'm like, whoa, this is getting a little weird. And he's like, "Miss Ayers, I'm scared.
0: Never been on a train. I've
5: never been on a train. Yeah. Things that a it's lot the, of us it's take It's The Wire. Time. If yeah.
0: anyone's seen The Wire, right. it's when they went to Ruth Chris's and they didn't know how to order because... Yeah. It was like, oh, I've never been outside of a Coney Island. Before.
5: Right. Nobody is yeah. taking people to places where you're not looking up at the menu. Like, don't take. Don't take me here. I don't want to look up. I want to look at a real menu. And so, you know, just things that we take for granted yeah. that uh, they're not afforded. And so when you start to pour those things back in to people, you start to change the person. And that's all it is. So, so
1: is there an assumption that when people come into a place, so the, with this uh, Returning Citizens Program, mm-hmm. so these new kind of new Detroit restaurants that are popping up, like, mm-hmm. is when they walk through the door, is there an assumption that they already have a knowledge of what's happening? On the menu, and to your point of like not looking up and looking mm-hmm. at a menu, is that an unfair assumption that's happening? And is there some type of advocate that needs to be put in place to um, kind of be the liaison between this person who's applying for the job and the employer?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think there there definitely has to be some type of liaison because you got to obviously think that although they're learning some skills, some of the people that are uh, incarcerated and happen to be lucky to go through some of these programs, they learn a little bit more. But if it's just an innate skill that I have and I come out, I may not know what's happening at a sugar house or at a you know, slows or whatever what have you. So we gotta fig we do have to do that. I mean communication and being effective in communication. That's the most important thing. So yeah, I, I agree with you. We need to create something pathway.
1: I think communication is the most important like and one of the most difficult things in, in our industry because we um I think there's a lot of assumption on our end that that as the person who hires someone um that there's some working knowledge of what what's happening right behind the behind the curtain so to speak um and it, there's a lot of time taken to even um, simple things like simple like cutting a lime the right way
5: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that
1: might seem really simple right. but there's something that you know like it might not work the same way
5: Yeah, no, I agree with you I mean I think a lot of people um, they just have an innate skill so unlike somebody that's gone to a cordon bleu they have mastered the mechanics of it but to me and this is just maybe it's my, it's my inner chunky girl talking it is so much <laughs> more than just the mechanics of it like you gotta love you gotta love it and it's got to come through you. So you might be great, and you might be able to design cute little hearts on top of your apple pie. But the apple pie might be nasty as all hell <laughs> because you don't have the love for what you do, and it may not be something that just comes out of you. So uh, we got to find a way to couple the two, because that's when you get really good food and good experience. So,
0: so here's the question I have: uh, aside from uh, anything that, uh, I, uh, it's no easy way to say. It. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, want, we want growth in the city, but we want gr- good growth. Mm-hmm. So from coming from the seats that you're in in, mm-hmm. in politics, when you're looking at stuff, what's the best way to encourage growth in terms of what's best for the neighborhoods, community, the city as a whole? I mean, everything has its own little pocket, right? Yeah, it does. So you, you can't just grow as much as I want to grow from downtown out because I think that's the way mm-hmm. to go and expand it. You got to grow everything. You got to give everyone like a fair share of uh, hospitality mm-hmm. here and there. Like, mm-hmm. what's the, what do you think are? What do you think is the best way that we can grow, or what, what do you think we're missing?
5: So or? I think it's, it's several layers to that. So when we talk about growth opportunities, and let's just like make it specific to the neighborhood. Um, if I'm a person that may be a woman, I may be a person of color, I may be in a certain income bracket. We've got things on a different level, i.e. redlining, i.e. not having access to capital that keeps me from being able to be in a building where I may want to have a building. Well, it's so,
0: it's the grant stuff, right? Like are you about. Well, talking about? There's like,
5: some, no, there are some grants out here, but sh- if I want to go buy a building because I want to open my restaurant or I want to start a hospitality training center and I may only make $40,000 a year and I may not have the best credit, but I'm working towards making it better. Those people don't get loans. They don't get loans. Gotcha. And nine times out of ten, your circle is probably in the same situation as you. So now, what do you do? So access to capital—that's something that obviously is not on a municipal level, but it's it's bigger than that. So we have to. How do you
4: legislate access to capital? Exactly.
5: So we don't. That wouldn't be in my wheelhouse, but we need to have the conversation with people who do affect the change there. How do we address that? Um, I think from my seat what I'm doing is talking to a lot of these developers because bottom line yes it did have to come from the downtown and go out now that it has started to do that we have to have effective communication and conversations so if I'm sitting down with a developer and they, oh we want to do this here well how about you do something in the Grand River Corridor. How about you do something over here? And a lot of these developers are open to it. We have one, and I, I won't say his name, but he has a project that's actually about to roll out within the Grand River Recorder. Oh, you gotta say Warndale.
0: It's my, it's my neighborhood.
4: <laughs> where I, can, where I, so, I spent
5: many years in Warndale. Yeah, so, you know, it's all about making people aware. And then for all of us that live in real communities and real neighborhoods, we've gotta define what it is that we want. What do we want? Do you want another beauty shop? Do you want another Coney? If those aren't the things you want, then let's start figuring out. That's, a,
4: that's actually a great point because it's easy to, you know, tear down other people's mm-hmm. visions mm-hmm. that are working. But what do you actually want? Right. Right? What do like, you want to see? The alternative.
5: What yeah. are you going to do? Absolutely, because a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, we've got the planning department. Well, actually, I believe. That because I live in my neighborhood I've been here That I am the urban planner for my neighborhood Because I'm going to tell you And I will pitch a fit If it's not something I want to see Just the same way people talked about the dispensaries If you don't want them there Stand firm and you don't want it Des- Design what you want for your neighborhood Especially if you've been a person that is stuck in state Good So this has gone a little
1: over And that's okay We're, we're open to the public now um, not that the public is
2: pouring in, though. When so, you say we're open to the public, that means people can come on the podcast. Anyway they can just
1: they, they can just come off the street, come in off the streets, and just like order right Drinks. There? We can ask this. Gentleman we'll see. We'll see if so, uh, that's Ron Cooley. He's not coming in. Here. Is that really? A, do you know yeah. who that is? That, that's Mr. That's Mr. Cooley. That's Phil's father. Yeah, he's not just going to walk in here. But these guys, these guys were they tried to get in here before, and now they're going to walk through the door in a second. They're walking oh, through oh, that door.
2: They come in. All right.
1: Yeah. Do you want to give money around the box? See. Hello. Hello. How's welcome. it going? Um, so, th- this is the interesting thing about podcasting, right? So, we had some technical difficulties. We were, we're supposed to be done by eight. We're not. And now we're going to have some new crowd listening to Herd podcast, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast, as there we talk go. to our last guest.
4: Thank uh, you for being patient.
1: Uh, Megan Ackroyd. You think she was a doctor? is she's one of the owners talking. of Ackroyd Scottish yes. Bakeries. Uh, and Scott, Ackroyd is my place of employment and um, a place near and dear to my heart. And, and we're, we're he- here at a launch party with our families, family and friends, and there's no one closer to me than Megan. So Megan is, seems the ideal uh-huh. guest, and she's going to close the show with us tonight. We're going to talk about Ackroyd's.
4: Woo! <laughs> That's my That's Jason's thing. That's my That's Jason's thing. I was like Ric Flair right <laughs> there. Flair 2020. That's my vote. You got my vote. Woo! So, uh
1: yes, tell us. Me- Megan came back uh, to Michigan about uh 8 years ago. No, 7 years ago from Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh she was in Charlotte working in corporate America kind of and um came back and is uh thought she could do the entrepreneurial thing, and she's been doing a great job. You thought that. I thought it. What did you think now?
0: <laughs> so, you thought Acro- that then. No so, regrets.
1: So, Ackroyd's... No regrets. Ackroyd's opened in 1949. We've, I've talked about it many times, but we'll talk about it some more. 1949, we're one of the... Um, a handful of Scottish bakeries in the country. The best. We're the best, but... it's
0: not Scottish, it's crap. <laughs> um,
1: so... Megan, let's go through the history. How did Aykroyd start?
6: It started with my grandfather and great uncle, and they opened a butcher shop, a Scottish butcher shop back in 1949, like you said, which is, what in the world is a Scottish butcher shop? And the answer is, quite frankly, I'm not really sure. (laughs) No, they made haggis and black pudding and potted, potted meat.
0: What is haggis? So it, I it, go through this a lot, right? So no, what is, is what is haggis? We call Welcome haggis ladies. Scottish pate. Haggis like, is. I've seen it
1: on TV. Haggis is one of the few banned foods in the United States, but it's only banned as an import from Scotland because Scottish haggis from Scotland includes sheep lungs, which. The FDA says we cannot include.
0: Sounds delicious. <laughs> do
2: they? Do they so, say why they don't include? What's that? Them? Why can't you include
0: sheep lungs? Is there why like can't? A, a disease? So, or something? Yeah, the USDA the disease just doesn't like it, 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 it. Sounds fucking horrible. Let's be honest. Well, there's lots no. of horrible things yeah, people but, eat. No. Okay, Vato. No, it Hold sounds on. horrible. Yeah,
6: Who are you, Jason
0: Carr? <laughs> let's just let's just eat sheep lungs. No, I'm <laughs> hey, telling. Hey, have you tried wait, this? No, yet? no, I haven't then fucking tried Then shut your mouth. It sounds horrible. Okay, wait a second. Zip it. Zip it! Wow. Uh, no,
6: no sheep lungs are in our haggis. Actually, yeah. the U.S. haggis
0: okay does not contain Did any you say sheep lungs. So no, we have, no, 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 no. it doesn't can't include have sheep lungs. We have
1: rib meat, rib meat, All right. heart. I like that. Liver. All right. Oats, onion, suet, seasoning. That's it. That's
6: yes, it. It. it's delicious.
1: It sounds pretty, pretty good. Scottish All pate. Your,
6: your fright is now for not, you,
1: Megan? That sounds pretty good. Let's talk about the Jason Carr incident. On Fox Two, so
6: I went on Fox Two a number of years ago to discuss um, just the bakery in general. And one of the things that we brought was haggis. And um, when I went to, uh, when I described it, and when I offered for them to taste it, Jason Carr tasted it and acted like he was going to vomit and ran off stage, ran off off camera
4: before he tasted it. No, well, like after
6: he tasted okay. it, which was. Um, I would say mildly, but I actually mean massively insulting. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I don't go on TV to just be insulted you feel, by my product. If it
2: tastes bad. How did no, your sales do after that? It
6: doesn't taste bad. We, I've had it with you thinking that it's going to taste bad. Because you will try it and you'll like it, and I know you will. So you need I, I, to get off of this train we, right now.
1: We are one of the largest producers in the country of haggis. <laughs>
0: which is illegal, which was you said, right? No. Imported, it's illegal if you import it haggis from Scotland. So what's the difference between imported and... Uh, we sheep just
3: lung. It <laughs> Domestic haggis? <laughs>
0: Domestic haggis. Domestic. Domestic doesn't have the... the.
1: There's not many people making domestically.
4: Okay.
0: Yeah.
6: And those who are are not using sheep lung.
0: Sorry. So, import has lung. Domestic does not.
1: You can't import haggis <laughs> with lungs. Right. Who brought this guy?
0: <laughs> if you could. Okay. No, so, so bakery started in so 1949. People to, like haggis like... Do do people eat, eat imported haggis that are like illegally imported? And, I have no clue. Like I don't really know about, about the about black it.
1: market haggis market.
6: I've, I'm it's guessing it's slim.
1: Yeah.
0: It's are slim. There,
6: where does get unless there's off? some like real badass haggis. Scots out
0: there that <laughs> just right, can't so, live without Scottish? Where does everyone get this like bad impression of haggis? Is it from like the Renaissance Festival or something? Or? It's
6: just because it, t- it contains organ meats, and uh, and organ meats just have a bad rap in general. I I, well, I sweetbread's Sweetbreads
0: always always. Uh, uh, no, they, know,
4: There is definitely something to that because I'm not a sophisticated eater. I found myself in the food, beverage, hospitality industry. But even to me, being open to trying things, when it comes to those things, it's like... The perception just hits you in a way. It's like...
6: Yeah, but uh. back in our grandparents' day, it didn't bother them at Does all. They have they have really it. Does it have an odor?
4: Does it have like a... No,
1: it's literally pa- Scottish pate. It's like, if you like pate, you'll like haggis. And there's there are pop culture references, like So I Married an Ex-Murderer. Mike uh, Mike Myers goes into the butcher and says, "Can I get a haggis?" Because well, he's a, Scottish,
6: right?
2: No, it's yeah.
6: his, his, his dad, is Scottish. His, and, his dad's side of his and the butcher is says, Scottish.
1: "The butcher says, Are you sure?'" And he said, "Well, I I assume that all Scottish Nick, cuisine was based on a Nick's dare." Nick's head
0: looks like Sputnik. Yeah, no.
1: so that that that's a line from the movie, right? Gotta, yeah, so, he's,
0: but, but, know, but Nick, also Nick's So haggis so and whiskey here.
1: is is a Burns night. Robert Burns is a national poet of Scotland and, and there's, he wrote a poem called Ode to the Haggis that is like All right,
0: so I have a question for Megan aside from Haggis what's the most traditional Scottish pastry Scottish uh, 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 savory thing that someone would get that isn't uh, as like far left as Haggis might be
6: Scottish meat pies. We've basically built our business around those. Um, we transitioned from being ju- solely a butcher shop into um, making savory pastries. Um, sometime in the fifties, when the cu- the customers started demanding that, my grandfather decided to try to make a scotch pie um, on his on his own. Which sounds pretty simple, but the scotch pie shell is really unique in that it's um, it's. Joe, what how what would you how would you describe it as being really unique? Kind of like this. It's not a traditional pie shell. It's not bready like a like an like an Arabic meat pie is. Um, no, like the dough on an Arabic It has meat more pie. of a crunch to it. It's definitely got like a crunch. It's a thin. It's a not. Fairly su- thin it's though. all. It's salty. It's very salty. Um,
1: but it also has to dry overnight.
6: And has to dry overnight. So my grandfather would make the dough and like. And form it over mason jars In his basement And he would make 24 at a time And he would let them dry overnight Bring them into the bakery And then fill them with the meat filling Cover them What's the the, uh,
0: garden variety uh, Spice for uh, Scottish meat filling It's
6: it's pretty simple It's usually pretty The Scots don't get too crazy with their spices But it's um, mostly salt and pepper Sounds kind of boring But they're really good and a lot of it is the texture of the pastry, the meat. You have the gelatin
2: in there. You know that it's it's the whole package together. Yep. So is yeah, we all don't
6: in the have gelatin in, in ours. So is it all in the in the pastry then? It's a combination of everything. Or the filling,
0: the pastry. And no, the filling.
6: You've never had our meat pies? I
0: have. I'm just curious. Then just why are you, you snoring
6: on the mic? Because you know you. <laughs> I love was
0: really John tired. <laughs> I've been drinking all this uh, bird. Jeez, uh, is it rum or rum with an H? No, it's that's not, rum, uh, with it's an not H.
1: rum with
4: an H. What's rum with an H? Uh, that would be ag- A-
1: Agricole, right? Rum yes, with an H?
4: That's true. See, uh, I'm Jamaican rum is rum without an H. Rum with an H is the uh, French-inspired, the
0: Caribbean and islands that are French-inspired. So aside from the pie and aside from the haggis, how about some uh, sweet uh, Scottish pastries? What's the traditional?
6: Short, I mean, it's quintessentially the most Scottish pastry is shortbread. Shortbread. So we make really great so, shortbread. You well, taste butter. Well, let, bread. let me ask Let's you this:
0: making a shortbread, shortbread man. Let me ask you this: shortbread, so
4: going back all those years, and how do you the consumer? Because, like you said, like obviously you want to reach consumer. Like, here's a five in
0: Middlebelt. There's like a million people that love. Beach daily, sure. Five the beach. sure. I'm, I'm sure there are, but
4: no, they, like, Their reach is like big... much. Their reach is much but, larger than just five. No, but,
0: but like so. there's no other place other than here because yep. my in-laws are not from the area and they know about this area and it's like oh it's a big deal. So why is this like why is this area like been focused on the big deal?
1: No, so that, that's partially my doing. This is this is a national. Brand now.
4: That was what. That was what my question was. Be how have you uh, expanded that sort of like uh, traditional ethnic cuisine yeah, or mean, whatever? Like you know, to to because for a guy again, guy like me, not super sophisticated, but open, but not sophisticated. How do you communicate? How do you? Get somebody to really into that into what you're doing.
6: Well, first of all, Scottish food is not very sophisticated, so yeah. it's really approachable to anyone. Sure. Um, and we so reach locally. We also had a, a bakery in another location in Birmingham for twenty some twenty five years or so. Um, so that that. We reach out to another another audience that way. That audience still comes to us in Redford, sure. Um, maybe not as much as they would if we were a little bit closer to them. Uh, but what do we do to reach out to people more often? Like we're working on a na- being a, a more of a national presence sure. now because um,
4: because of how the easy of the internet. is it to how easy is it to ship these products? Or like well, what's the we do ship nationwide
6: and we freeze that we we've we've gotten our. Um, our shipping method down to an art at this point we 've been doing it about five, six years now. Um, we started off just taking calls from people that wanted us to ship you know their very specific order of like sure. two meat pies here, one fern cake there now we 're doing you know online ordering. We have a very specific menu that we are willing to ship with very specific quantities involved you know you must order. So, an eight pack of meat pies instead sure. of before we would let people pick and choose cherry pick things because we could make it very customized. It was a very it was a lot smaller. Now we've um, once it's on the web as a menu and an orderable thing, you've got to really, in order for to reach efficiencies, you've got to make it. You know, you've got to put it into pretty packages for people.
0: So, folks that I know uh, know your place is like the quintessential Scottish place. Um, is there? Something spectacularly different. Uh, well, I, I don't know any other Scottish place. Maybe that's the answer. Why? Why hasn't there been a like a Scottish like uh, explosion? Like what? What's uh?
6: That's a good question. Yeah. What's
0: unique? Like, I mean, there's got to be something mean, other than the so, qu- the quality is amazing. Just to be honest about that. But aside from the quality. Like, why isn't there, like, a huge Scottish, like, involvement in the area? Yeah, so I I can, I think I can answer that.
1: Um, So there is this perceived need to be sexy with food, right? And um, Scottish food, for, for all of its deliciousness, is not sexy looking mm. um,
4: until Joe Hakim stepped
0: on the <laughs> and
6: then... <laughs> well
2: i, I mean, mean now i think <laughs> What i, kind of <laughs> I think guys it's
4: sexy no, think it's but very,
2: yes, it's, very brou-
1: it's very brown it's very one note on, on its appearance right and um hey, but it's so tasty though it's like, yeah. like
6: it's r- very comforting it's really but there's yeah. also
1: a learning curve and, and these things like so approachability doesn't doesn't um, uh, but speak to but learning Eckers, curve. But Eckers so, has
0: been there from the get-go, you know. Right,
1: like, and and, and that, that's a great and part no of what we no do. No one else has
0: picked it up. Like I'm curious, as like why other people haven't L- picked it up?
1: Labor and sexiness. There's nothing sexy in what we do, and the labor It's very labor intensive. So, so when you, you guys think think
4: that are making Scottish that? food, is considered? I know that like, is it tagged with the ethnic? cuisine tag that like some of the Chinese Asian foods where it's like no works. no
1: and that's interesting because I, I, I find myself especially in our area talking to people and saying our meat pies are not Middle Eastern meat pies we do not serve fataya here we serve very very simple ground beef salt pepper meat pies with a handmade shell and, and nothing against Middle Eastern meat pies because those, those are that's handmade dough. That's, but their their flavor profile is much different.
6: And our shells yeah, for of- our meat pies are hand pressed out in a um, heated die press, um, one one individual shell at a time. Right now, working on working on changing that, but um, for the last seven, almost seventy years, they've been like pressed out in this heated die shell or heated die press thing, where you have to, you know, pull one shell out at a time, and it par cooks it. And then even after after it's been par cooked, it has to dry for 24 hours. So you can't just make the dough and start making the meat pies. You've got there's like a there's a there's a whole time element to it all.
1: So, um, Megan, where can we find Ackroyds online?
6: We're on we're at AckroydsBakery Where else? We're also on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. On Pinterest, are we are we on um, what's that one dating app where you swipe left and right? Are we on that one? Tinder.
4: Are
3: we on Tinder. Tinder. Tinder? Grindr?
4: Swipe Grindr? right on a meat pie. <laughs> Grinding on meat Grindr? pie. Yeah.
6: yeah. <laughs> swipe right. Yeah. Out yeah. Of yeah. Meat pie. Who wouldn't grind on a sausage roll?
1: <laughs> uh, we're going to launch a website later in the summer too. Uh, our new e-commerce site uh, that our incredible intern from Wayne State. Jim is working on. He's awesome. Uh, shout go out Jim. to Jim, he's fantastic. Yeah. Megan, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Megan. Guys, thanks yeah. for uh, go staying with us through our technical difficulties. Let's, let's hear it for the
2: audience. Yeah, thanks, audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks,
1: guys. Figure House. Woo! No. They're all focused on their drinks. No one's paying attention. <laughs> Everyone, Everyone is really been incredible. Been rum tonight. punch and part and parcel. Uh, we'll be with you next time. Until next time. Bye. Dine will. well.